Hello, welcome back to Acting Lessons Learned. I'm Tawana Floyd. The first time I heard the term turning pro was after reading Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. Not to be confused with Sun Tzu's Art of War, which is also a prolific book about strategy, but The War of Art delves into the ideals of the resistance artists experience that keep us from excelling in our endeavors. Fear, self-doubt, procrastination, perfectionism, all of the forms of self-sabotage that stop us from doing our work and making our dreams come true. Of course, resistance applies to people in all fields and occupations, but Stephen speaks very directly to creatives. I was in an ongoing actors mastermind group for 10 years, and several of my peers in the group would mention this book at various periods over the years. And when I hear about something repeatedly being described as helpful, I like to find out for myself what all the hype is about. So I researched Stephen Pressfield and was surprised to learn he had a canon of self-help books geared towards creatives, six books in total. He had also written a few novels. Most notable to me was The Legend of Bagger Vance, the source material for the film of the same title that was directed by Robert Redford and starring Will Smith. Stephen also wrote the screenplay for the crime drama Above the Law, starring another Stephen, Stephen Seagal. Discovering Stephen Pressfield worked successfully as a fiction, nonfiction, self-help writer, novelist, and screenwriter in Hollywood and in advertising let me know he may have some golden nuggets of insights to impart from his experiences of working as a creative on such a grand scale. And speaking from personal experience, writing is an art that requires unwavering discipline to keep going because it's done in a vacuum and easy for the writer to continuously doubt oneself or stop going the distance, never making it to the finish line, and for many, never making it to the starting line. I found the war of art valuable in helping me to recognize the cognitive beliefs I held that kept me stuck from growing my career and finding ways to return to a few of the ground zeros in my life when the fear-based ideas that were not my own were implanted into my consciousness. I could even unearth some of those ideals and discredit their validity. For instance, limiting beliefs like there's only so far I could go starting my acting career so late at 35, or extremely frivolous ideas of I need to go back to school and get an English degree like Ed Norton to be good at creating characters, just crazy stuff. To reprogram my mind, I sought out examples of highly successful actors doing what I wanted to. Someone who was a blueprint for me, not that I want to be her, but I respect the journey from hip-hop to musical feature film to a producer to jazz album to talk show host, and the list continues, and that's Queen Latifah. From where I stand, she sees no boundaries, and I'm sure she does, she's human, but for the most part, she really goes for the things that she desires, and for me, that's admirable. As I began to have breakthroughs that helped me to increase opportunities, I wanted to stay on this course of study with Stephen as a master teacher in my head and continuing to overcome limiting beliefs. Naturally, I advanced to his follow-up book, Turning Pro, Tap Your Inner Power and Create Your Life's Work, which at the core deals with amateurs who have amateur habits versus pros who have pro habits. The book is straightforward, and I'd be here all day if I tried to share every aspect of its contents, but the element I latched onto the quickest is, and I quote, The difference between an amateur and a professional is in their habits. An amateur has amateur habits. A professional has professional habits. That statement caused me to consider the areas where I have amateur versus professional habits. An example that comes to mind 
I am not a trained singer. I'm an actor who happens to sing well. I sing in a renowned choir here in Los Angeles. Once we were invited to sing as a choir for the semifinals of the hit television show, The Voice. During rehearsal, I was handed sheet music, which I do not read. So instead, I listened intently to the first sopranos singing in my section. As someone trying to pose as a singer in front of this professional vocal coach that was teaching us, my ear picked up every note, inflection, and pitch. But I couldn't trust my memory to remember all of the parts when it came to the live show when we had to belt out the chorus, of all things, Queen's Somebody to Love. So, during our downtime, before showtime, I listened to my recording with my headphones repeatedly, drilling my parts until I felt confident I'd had it. One of my choir sisters, who is a phenomenal trained international singer, jokingly mocked me in front of everyone by questioning why I was still rehearsing. Feeling attacked and without missing a beat, I said, I'm not a trained singer, so I have to work harder to prepare so that I'm 100% when the lights go up. And because of my diligence... I was ready and could sing with joy and conviction, and I was one of the few in the choir to be seen singing gleefully, pun intended, and my choir sister later admitted that she forgot a part and had to sing silently because of her uncertainty. In that moment, I was exhibiting pro-habits. In that moment, I was exhibiting pro-habits. Now, I didn't know I was because fear of messing up was running my choice to drill the parts. I know that when I behave arrogantly, like my phenomenal trained international singing choir sister, and I think I don't have to work hard, that is when I'm operating like an amateur, not to be confused with confidence. But my amateur habits have me phoning it in, and when I flub the audition or whatever the circumstances may be, I am pissed with myself. No, wait, no, let me take it back. Let me keep it real. First, I displaced the blame on the people who didn't hire me for all sorts of reasons because it's easier and it feels better. And then I get real with myself and take accountability for behaving like an amateur. Full transparency. For a long time, wait, let's see, 13 years, I held a lingering insecurity that because I didn't attend an Ivy League school or graduate university with a BFA, that I didn't measure up to acting standards, i.e. Broadway or Hollywood's ideals of what talent is. There is so much emphasis put on these universities as producing the best talent and anything outside of that doesn't measure up. So much so that the mere mention of one of these universities on an actor's resume asserts the actor must be talented if they were accepted or graduated from said university. Now, it took me years to learn that not all who attended or graduated from these schools are, in fact, great actors. And it also took me years to learn that there are many, if not more, profound actors who, like me, came up bouncing around from one great teacher to another. Or as one of my acting teachers who works quite often has stated, I learned acting from the streets because I live life and acting is no different from life when you just tell the truth. And she was also honest in divulging that she couldn't teach us any of the acting techniques from any of the highly idolized teachers, but she could teach us what worked for her. Now, this isn't a battle of acting ability between the Ivy League versus the streets because what works for you is all that matters. Although I'd kind of be willing to make a wager that there are probably more successful great actors who came up in the streets (laughs) than those from Ivy League or BFAs. And please don't ask me to prove it because I wouldn't even know how to start and I ain't got the time. But my insecurity from learning to act from the streets (laughs) meant I always felt, I guess, imposter syndrome. 
And how that showed up for me was self-doubt. But here's the conundrum. I always felt that I was a solid actor. If you've listened to episode 101, Trauma Teacher, you know, for safety reasons, I had to be good at acting to survive two years with an abusive acting teacher. But my self-doubt caused me to study harder. It's like someone with a learning disability. It doesn't mean they're bad at learning. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. It just means that they have to work a little harder. And because of that, you're unaware that they even have an impediment. My decision to move to Los Angeles was twofold. One, I wanted to work in TV. And two, I thought it might be easier than trying to compete with Broadway actors in New York City. And that notion couldn't be further from the truth because contrary to popular belief, the best of the best actors moved to Los Angeles. And it would be a good while before I realized or finally realized that I learned I too was part of the best. The funny thing about imposter syndrome It caused me to be hyper-vigilant and to always over-prepare so that I could measure up. It also forced me to pretend to fit in so that no one noticed that I'm, to put it lightly, (laughs) the fraud I thought myself to be. According to Stephen Pressfield, turning pro navigates the passage from amateur life to professional practice. Anyone experiencing imposter syndrome is more often than not, operating in a professional manner because the last thing they want to be known for is an amateur. But pro habits versus amateur habits aren't always deliberate. And there have been times when I didn't know I was practicing amateur habits until I may have either witnessed another actor's habits during the run of a play or maybe one of my friends shared their experiences. I told this story once before, but it bears repeating. In the late 90s and early 2000s, I would work background in New York. Now, to this day, I have no idea how I found those jobs or how people found me, but I would end up on somebody's film set doing background work. One day, I met a young woman who was my age. We actually could have passed for sisters, Nicole Brown. What's up, Nicole? I don't know if she's listening, but just in case if she is. In holding... She would handwrite postcards to all of the background casting offices in New York. She'd have a stack of black and white postcards and stamps and sitting quietly writing them out. And that's how she would pass the time. And she worked a heck of a lot. Now, she was the first person I had met to actually to actually say that she was a professional background actor. And I've always respected her and her professional habits and still do. And I'd always joke with her and suggest that she should either be an agent or a union rep because she knew all the sag after rules and bylaws and had no qualms about advocating for herself and other actors. She was living out that saying, whatever you do, do it well. If you're a janitor, be the best janitor. And because of her, I learned to be a professional background actor. And later, as I transitioned to principal actor, I incorporated sending postcards to casting directors and agents. I still do, because in any business, we must remind buyers that we exist and that they should utilize our services. Stephen Pressfield also stated, you don't need to take a course or buy a product. All you have to do is change your mind. Turning pro is free, but it's not easy. (sighs) But what if you don't know how to change your mind? Now, I know from personal experience, actors feel that we have to buy a product or have to take a class, another class to turn pro. And we spend money to do so, sometimes money we don't have. One day back in 2016, 
I found the perfect class. Well, actually, one of my really good friends shared a program with me just as I was looking for a level-up teacher, and it was the UCLA Professional Acting for the Camera program, which I applied. Now, nothing spoke turning pro like a one-year intensive program at UCLA with professional in the title. And I titled my statement of purpose, Turning Pro, because I truly believed that this was going to be the thing. This would be how I can get a this would be how I can get an esteemed university on my resume, even if it were not for a four-year BFA. I had been training for 13 years at this point, so this would serve as my MFA at a fraction of the cost. And I was ready to turn pro, and UCLA would get me there. <laughs> now, I won't go too in-depth about the program because I don't want to do a commercial for them, but you can look it up. And I will say, this training was exceptional. But the most insightful component were the industry guests that came in to speak with us. From them, I learned what changing one's mind meant. Because hearing how these working producers, showrunners, directors, and actors overcome circumstances, it was always rooted in releasing an old habit or idea to conceive or accept a new one. Turning pro required me to think bigger with a deeper level of dedication, accountability, drive, and strategy. So I'll share an example of a change of mind that caused me to turn pro. And I should disclose that turning pro is not a one-time event. It's perpetual and inescapable. And for every new growth tier, turning pro requires a change of mind and a shift from amateur habits from what you used to do into pro habits for this new area that you're aspiring to grow in. At the onset of the 2007 writer strike, how meta, because we're about to maybe go into that same thing now, and hopefully I'll know what to do. But at the time, I didn't know what to expect because it was my first writer strike. But there were rumors that Hollywood was going to shut down because no scripts meant no productions, which meant no work for anyone in the industry, with the exception, of course, of non-union work. So before the strike was announced... I got two part-time jobs. When the strike went into effect, nothing prepared me for how quickly things ceased. I added two more part-time jobs because it got hectic for everyone working in the business. And when the producers and writers reached an agreement in early 2008, traction for me was almost non-existent. So out of fear... I kept working my four jobs. One of those jobs was a mid-level apparel store where we do an overnight floor move two nights a month. A team of four people, myself included, reconfigured the entire store, adding new merchandise and finding a space for the older merchandise, which always required some ingenuity because the old merchandise was PC and hard to make into a sellable story. It was grunt work. It paid $10 an hour. Yeah, I know. 2008, I accepted that. There is nothing exciting about a floor move, at least to me. And these types of retail stores are always understaffed, and this store was no exception. We'd work from 9 p.m. to 4 a.m., and I would be so exhausted afterwards. It would take me a couple of days to recuperate. This would impact my auditions. I'd sleep during the day, and then I had to book out, and then I had other jobs. So one day, I'm at this apparel store in the midst of a floor move, it's 1 a.m. We have three more hours to go and I'm already hitting a wall. There were 15 boxes of new merchandise, clothes to unbox, fold, put on hangers, steam. And then we had to find a home for the old merchandise. 
I was at the top rung of a metal ladder, cleaning a dusty top shelf. I could see the entire store from up high, and it looked like a demolition. There were clothes everywhere, and it was making me more tired just knowing how much more work needed to be done. And then I heard a voice, what I call spirit. It said, is this what you moved to L.A. to do? Do you think this is what I have for you? I answered internally, no. Then it's time to quit and recommit to your purpose. The money will come. This was like, you know, like when you see the sky open up and the angels hark and they sing, (laughs) except it was one o'clock in the morning and they really weren't in harmony. (laughs) I stepped down from the ladder and I went over and told the 19-year-old manager that this is my last day. I wish I had the courage to just walk out right then and there, but I felt bad for the overworked, underpaid staff. Shortly thereafter, I decided to quit two more jobs, and I was left with one, which I actually enjoyed that job, and it was still part-time and flexible. Now, if it seems these jobs didn't connect to my acting, they did. They depleted my energy, and so I was becoming an amateur actor. My habits were bad. I wasn't exhibiting professional habits. I had fallen into a rut and didn't know how to rebound after the writer's strike. I hadn't done this before. The worst part? I was devaluing my worth by working for no money when I had skills that had once earned me six figures. It was the moment of realization when I decided my current situation was no longer acceptable, that my vision and my worth were grand. I had to believe in myself again. So I got back on track and I was good from that moment on until 2018 when I had to turn pro all over again because I was up-leveling to a new tier. At some point in every actor's career, the decision to turn pro becomes a crossroads we're faced with when making a choice. I am evidence that when you change your mind, believe in yourself, and incorporate professional habits, you get the result you want. But first, you've got to work through fear, self-doubt, procrastination, perfectionism, all the forms of self-sabotage that stop us from doing our work and making our dreams come true. And if you can't do it alone, get help. Hire a coach. Become accountability partners with that friend, you know, the one that you're terrified to ask to hold you accountable because you know they will hold you to what you say you're going to do. So is it time for you to turn pro? And here's something that I also recognize. All of my friends, whether they deliberately made the decision and had a plan or just got fed up and unconsciously decided to become pro, They became so intentional in their approach towards their careers. And I just watch people take off and soar until the next level. And then you're back at it again. Thank you for listening to Acting Lessons Learned. Before you go, if you'd like to support the show, here are five ways you can do so. One, subscribe. Two, rate five stars. Three, leave a kind review. Four, share this episode with an actor or friend and tell them what you like about it. Five, you can buy me a coffee. If you want to learn more about me, there are links to my website, my Instagram, yeah, my Instagram and my TikTok. And um, you know what? Guess what? I have finally reached the time where I am going on hiatus. This was the plan last May when I started out. I said I would go on hiatus in April and come back for my second year or my second season in May. So I'll be back May 16th. And um, in the meantime, you know, go back and check out some other things. Or if there is like one episode where you felt like, 
I need to go back to that. This is a good time to do so. I'll see you in May. And listen, when you turn pro, life gets easier. It really does. It just works out. So I hope that you'll take this time to turn pro if you're not already doing it. Until next time, May 16th, I'll see you again. Bye. Or you'll hear me again. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 